0: this is change the narrative we are part of the jungle podcast collection the
1: jungle.
0: that was my worst one ever oh my good lord that was so bad Oh, that was awful i'm your host matt filer this is a podcast with daniel davlos i want to apologize in advance my voice was incredibly hoarse and i have since uh healed so thank the lord for that uh but I have healed, but the Rose Bowl really brought it out of my voice and it shows up in this podcast. Um, but Daniel is an incredible guest. Uh, we talked about uh, race relations, but in a different light. He is Colombian and we got to talk a lot about that. So this is Daniel Davalos. But first, hey. Jamie. Today I'm here with Daniel Davalos. Daniel, say hi to the
1: people. Hey people, it's me, uh, Daniel Davalos. Daniel and I were were friends. No longer. We are no longer briefly friends. Briefly friends. Yeah,
0: briefly friends for a short three years because you left me.
1: It was a torrid affair, torrid- our friendship.
0: <laughs> it was awful. Yeah, we, we, had some, we had our ups and downs, uh, but we yeah. got through it and we're still here today. Uh, but, Daniel, you want to tell tell
1: everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, what am I supposed to say? My name is Daniel. Yeah, that's true. Um, I actually have two legal last names. I'm not going to get into that <laughs> right now. Um, it's too much. It's <laughs> too much for their ears. Yeah, it's, their virgin ears are not <laughs> ready for my exploits. Um, yeah, dog, I live in New Mexico with my beautiful wife, who's sitting next to me. Um,
0: say hi to the people, Brittany. Hey to the people.
1: <laughs> that's my wife, Brittany. Uh we have been married for quite some time now, 5 months or something. Um So yeah, I live we both live in New Mexico and I work at a church and I don't know what I do there. Oh. Half the time. That's because okay. I show up drunk a lot.
0: Oh. You don't do that.
1: Well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's up? He really does not do that. Although his facial Expression has not changed since saying that. He does not do
1: that. Who do you guys think is going to win the Rose Bowl? (laughs) I
0: think Baker Mayfield. That guy's hot. (laughs) No, the dogs won the Rose Bowl two days ago, Daniel. You know that. I watched that game. Yeah, we went to that school and you watched the game. Yeah. Did your wife watch the game? She
1: did. We were we were sitting uh, next to one another, holding each other's hands, did, did, holding each other accountable. <laughs> to winning. <laughs> to winning.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy for you that you held each other accountable yeah. during that win during the game. Yeah, y'all pushed each other.
1: Mm-hmm. We yeah. have covenant eyes on our TV. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: we're never gonna get through this. So we never
1: <laughs> we never saw any of the shots of Baker Mayfield because. <laughs> locked <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well at least you got through it <laughs> which is awesome yeah. uh and you made it here um you guys are still married yeah which is awesome no Brittany's giving me a, a definite definite no uh <laughs> but yeah we're gonna go right into it after that uh great opening i hope we keep all of that you think tim's gonna let us keep all of that yeah, probably. But you should talk into the mic if you want people to. That's hear true, you. producer Jordan. Uh, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna jump right into it, Daniel, if you don't mind. Yeah. Hey, did you just crack your neck? I cracked my neck. That was the ultimate badass thing to do right Thanks, before man. a podcast Thanks, that dude. no one can see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope the can... I really hope the mic caught my nasty neck cracking because <laughs> I have the spinal cord of an eighty year old. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, uh, hey. But, you're still alive. Thanks, man. Yeah, you're not 80 either. Mm. Come on.
1: Not in. <laughs> just, just
0: go. <laughs> just go. All right, we're gonna jump right into it. So basically, <laughs> uh, the reason that I wanted to interview Daniel, Daniel has uh, actually written for The Jungle. Mm-hmm. How many times now?
1: Um, I guess uh, officially nine. Nine times Where's your T-shirt. Dog, I'm still waiting for that T-shirt. And for that sticker, Sir
0: Jordan, where is his T-shirt?
1: And for that plaque, you get a plaque too. I, I, just naming it, like for your claiming it. Yeah, I get some plaque. <laughs> I have your sticker for you. Thanks, man. Okay, he's got your sticker.
0: Um, so you wrote nine nine articles. I don't think I read all of them, which I feel bad about That's fine. now. Yeah, I'm sorry, as your friend or used to be friend. Most
1: of them were just written to pad my stats,
0: <laughs> to get the plaque. Yeah, the exactly. Plaque. Yeah. Uh, But I, you know, I read a a few of them definitely and uh, definitely loved your just like your opinions, your how real you were on them. And immediately when I was thinking about doing this, I was thinking about you and reading the stuff that you were putting out, which was super awesome. And we actually talked about it, but when it was just a thought, Mm -hmm. uh, which is seems like a while ago, but really wasn't that long ago. Um, And you were definitely an encourager of of what I wanted to do. And if I thought this was something that um, could be cool and definitely wanted to talk to you about it. So that is good news. Actually, fun fact, when I kind of like was thinking about the podcast, I wrote down everyone's names that I was just like, I just wanted to talk to mm-hmm. And you were the fourth name. Fourth. Yeah. The first Man. three were famous people. So you should feel good. Oh yeah.
1: Like John legend.
0: Is his name. Why did you bring up
1: John legend? Cause his, his voice is like, butter
0: so you you thought i just wanted his, not because of intellectual thoughts right but because of his voice
1: yeah that's why you're talking to me you, yeah that is true my i rated
0: every one of my friends very on buttery. their voice yeah <laughs> and you got you got top honors mm-hmm, thanks man yeah no problem uh but yeah so just definitely wanted to talk to you about that uh and so i'm just going to start off so i'm going to read one of your excerpts uh did i say that right yeah i kept saying experts before but you know whatever Um, so you talk about, I forget which article this is in, so you can probably, uh, I think it's from the one, the noble oppressed one. Okay. Okay. Um, And it says to be a Brown man speaking on race in a sense is to step into a conversation that I did not start a conversation that was not crafted with people who look like me in mind, a conversation that does not always seek to address the issues of an entire group of people who may not even speak the same language. Uh, so I think. You know, in the last two, the, yeah, the, I've had, or we've talked to two people, with Cecil didn't come out, but we had a row on as well, <clears throat> but we talked to predominantly black people about this issue, the issue of racism in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to hear kind of what you are talking about with this quote or with this excerpt from your article. Um, and also how that, you know, relates to black Americans as well as Latino Americans as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I, I think the first thing that I have to be clear about is that it's not negative that, that black people are talking about black issues, uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't sit here as a Latino, I can't sit here and start talking about, you know, the Arab experience. Um, because that's not, I mean, there's some commonalities, but that's not really where I come from or what I know. So it makes sense to me that when you have black activists talking about issues on race, they're going to focus on them from a black perspective. Unfortunately, what that means is that sometimes the conversation gets distilled down to a very simplistic white-black issue. That is, in America, that is uh, the predominant issue. It's not the longest-running issue. There was a a white-brown issue before there was a white-black issue with the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, their voice has been silenced. Uh, to a staggering degree um but yeah what 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 i would like to see and what i mean by that quote is what does it look like for a whole people group or multiple people groups who a don't always talk to speak the same language as as america but also sometimes don't even speak the same language as one another what does it look like for their concerns to be included in the conversation what does it look like for latino activists to find their voice um I've, you know, I've gotten a lot of benefit out of reading Ta-Nehisi Coates, and I've thought to myself, what would it look like for someone who looks like me and has had similar experiences as me to speak in the same way that he does? Um, so that's kind of what I'm talking about is just, I would like to see a more holistic conversation that includes more people, because there are commonalities between people of color, but again, if if I start talking on behalf of, of black people, that's just not helpful.
0: What are some of those commonalities that you would just briefly go over? I know you read it in your, mm-hmm. in your article, but people who haven't read that article, which you should go read if you're listening to this. Yeah, it's awesome. But uh, definitely just like just speak on what what are the commonalities mm-hmm. and what are the differences if you want to go on that as well?
1: For sure. I think I mean, the, at, at the baseline, the commonality, the, the big thing is just not being white. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine pretty recently where he was telling me he didn't think of himself as white um, until he realized that people think of themselves as not white. And that's what happens when you're the you're the measuring stick. Right. The measuring stick doesn't think of itself as a measurement because it's the thing that other things are measured by. It's the standard. Yeah. Um, So that, that's just like the very baseline. Like if you're not white, you have that in common with other people who aren't white. And I mean, that's a, that's a dynamic that um, just impacts the way you think about yourself and the way you're hyper aware, hyper conscious of walking into a room. Um, I was in Southern North Carolina this past weekend, and we walked into this barbecue restaurant and I was with a bunch of my white friends and I remember thinking to myself, if I if I was here with my family, I wouldn't walk into this restaurant. Mm. I would feel very threatened walking into this restaurant. I have a feeling that other non-white people would feel a similar way. Um, so just just the very
0: what about generic kind of like threw it off to you. I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, it's just a lot. So some of it is just being conditioned to believe that there are certain people who just don't like me or are you know, more, have more of a propensity to just not like me because of the way I look. Um, we were in a town that probably has more Confederate flags than people. Um, and even just the fact that like when we walked in, you know, we look like city slickers or whatever. Um, and I'm a city slicker through and through. (laughs) Um, we walked in and people just like looked at us. They just stared at us. Um, so you had already
0: stuck out, like even your white
1: friends had right. stuck out. Right, yeah, exactly. And you just went an extra degree. Right, exactly. Um, and that's something that I'm just it, – it's not always um, warranted necessarily, but it's just one of those things where, you know, maybe and, – and again, I don't want to speak on behalf of people, but maybe for the average American seeing, you know, a group of, like, young black men – at night is threatening Mm -hmm. um for me what's more threatening honestly is seeing a group of country looking white guys um and that's just that's just what i have going on in my brain when i when i walk into a place like that yeah or the fact that like honestly for the longest time i didn't go into a cracker barrel because i thought to myself man that is not a space that i want to be in um i have since been in a Cracker Barrel, and it's delicious. Yeah, you like it? What I, do you get? I love Cracker Barrel. Um, honestly, their their biscuits with ap- uh, apple butter. Ooh. Yeah, and their pancakes are amazing. Their biscuits
0: are seriously the best thing ever.
1: Yeah. We don't need to get they're into really that good. right
0: now. Hash brown casserole. Oh, It's amazing. Oh they have goodness.
1: really good dumplings, too. Sorry. Yeah,
0: their dumplings are good. Yeah. I haven't had that in a while because I was just go with the breakfast. Right. The dumplings really did amaze me. Someone <laughs> someone had them, and I was like, oh, hello. Uh <laughs> But, yeah, so, I mean, and that's, like, you know, when you hear that, that you were, like, that you were, you didn't go into Cracker Barrel, right? Because that just, like, the the stigma that goes along with Cracker Barrel is white, really Southern people, mm-hmm. right? And so, I, I I don't know, that's just, like, very eye-opening to me to be, like, you know, we all are conditioned in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like like you said— you know, when I was growing up, it was like, look for, look for these things for danger. Like danger looks like a certain thing, but mm-hmm. for like your family, it looks like something different. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is pretty crazy. Like, so talk about, um, kind of your upbringing and your family. You're from Columbia, mm-hmm. correct? That's um, right. And so you, you've been in the States your whole life, correct? Or am I Um, wrong?
1: we moved when I was seven. Oh no. So yeah. I'm
0: wrong. I'm the worst. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I know, so multiple times I've like been Skyping you with my roommates and you're, uh, you're speaking in Spanish while you're talking to us in English, like, you know, just talking to your family in Spanish and talking to us in English. Right. Uh, what was that like upbringing? Like, and how does that differ from going over to a friend's house that, was whites and you prominently your friends were white in mm-hmm. high school correct yeah
1: so I grew up in a pretty white suburb um, of North Atlanta so yeah most of my friends were white growing up and still are white um, I think it's weird because I've I've been I kind of talk about this in one of the things I wrote but but there's like kind of been this shame associated with with being different um, that I have only pretty recently started to think about and meditate through, and just be thankful for you know the experiences that God gave me and, and how He made me. Um, but for the longest time, like if my parents called me, and this might still happen, but if my parents called me and I'm hanging out with a bunch of friends, like I will step out of the room and talk quietly in Spanish because I have this weird thing where I don't want people to hear me speaking in, in Spanish. Um, Some of it might just be, like, I just want to be like everyone else. Um, Like, I don't want to be pointed out. There's um, kind of been a a raised awareness of what's called microaggressions. So different behaviors that people might exhibit that make people feel in whatever way threatened or or, um, othered or anything like that. And um, I think sometimes there's merit to that of... Of you know you have someone ask you you know the the classic like what are you right like they they see you they they see that you're tan yeah or brown and they're like what are you and like they don't mean anything by it but then all of a sudden in your mind you're like well I'm I'm a person um so that's what I am <laughs> we'll start uh, off with that right <laughs> um so I think a lot of the time it's just a matter of I don't want to be different um. Especially because growing up in, in, you know, the relatively affluent white suburb that I did, whiteness and wealth are the standard. And if you don't measure up to that, there's something wrong with you. That's not said. You know, no one goes around saying that to people, but it's just kind of like... Understood. Yeah. Um, And I mean, it's not like people who live in those contexts you know are saying like if you don't meet the standard then you're worse. I don't know what kind of conversations happen behind closed doors. I don't want to be unfair, you know, to the people around me, but the way suburbs work is by design for white people. Mm-hmm. Um just if you look at like housing patterns, so you have this kind of um social structure which everything around it is designed to say if you're not wealthy and not white then you know, you're not 100% up to par. Um, and for me, what that looks like is, okay, well, I'm going to try to hide the things that don't match up. For some people, it's the opposite. You know, like, okay, well, I'm going to be as different as I can.
0: But you wanted to s- kind of get in that box.
1: Yeah, I wanted to be as non-threatening as possible.
0: Yeah. Just because of your general nature, or did you feel like you were just, like, pushed that way?
1: Um, I think probably both. Okay. Um again, nothing, probably nothing that anyone ever said consciously. I also, my parents come from, from the Colombian upper middle class, um, and colorism in, in Latin American society is just rampant. Um, you still have the vestiges of colonialism that basically tell you, you know, if, if you're white, that means that you, um, are closer to the Spaniards. And if you're Brown, that means you're closer to the to the natives. Um, so white is better, yeah. which is just absurd. Um,
0: and that's what you were taught growing up.
1: Yeah. And again, no one says that, but yeah, but it's just, it's just so, understood. So
0: it's understood in multiple, like, so both cultures that you've lived in. Mm-hmm. So from a Colombian culture, you had colorism, which I've never heard of. So yeah. it's, it's basically just like almost a spectrum mm-hmm. of just like, if you're darker, you are lesser. Yeah. Um, wow. That's, is interesting and very, I guess, translates pretty well into like what we have today, but also is not spoken about. Mm-hmm. Is it more spoken about in Colombia of that being a thing or like do your parents have that conversation with you? Because I know like we had Roe on and he was like, we kind of had that conversation that that white people are. You know, you can't like what he says in there. I'm not trying to like put words in his mouth, but he said like, you know, you can't trust white people. Mm. You know, and they had that kind of in his upbringing. It was like can't trust white people, however nice they might seem, you can't trust them. Yeah, and you know, to me, it you know that hurts, and I'm trying to defend. Like, no, I wouldn't. Why? Why? Mm -hmm. Why are you trying to you know protect yourself from me? I'm not like trying to hurt you. You know what I'm saying? But yeah,
1: um. I think – I mean, we never had, like, a specific conversation about it, mm-hmm. but there's always been tendencies of, like, of like, oh, you should hang out with the white kids and not with the brown kids. You know, or, like, oh, we're going to purposely go to a white church and not a Hispanic church. Um, stuff like that. I mean, yeah. it's There's just so many strands that, like, that go into it that it's just – there's no, like, simple – you know, this is done because of colorism, but, but a lot of th- those behaviors are conditioned by it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of it has to do it's, with like, it's just always underlying. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with economics. Um, like maybe we want to move to a neighborhood where people aren't shot and that's where the white people are. Cool. But also some of it is like, oh, you live in a white neighborhood. That's, that's like, you're at your pinnacle. Like you've really made it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think in terms of, of being a person of color, having those conversations with my parents is just super interesting because they're not used to it, and I grew up with it. Yeah. Um, and they're still kind of grating against this idea that they are people of color because in Colombia they're not. Yeah. They're um, kind of almost. They're upper middle class. Yeah, they're, like, almost white. Like, my dad is, like, pretty light-skinned for a for Colombian person. Um, so it's just this weird, like.
0: And would you say that they're proud of that? yeah like they're proud of like their class or you know it's not like they're reflecting on like oh there are i mean they could be you can tell me if i'm wrong but they're not they're not saying like oh they are being oppressed like you know the the lesser Mm -hmm. you know or the the more colored people are being oppressed
1: yeah it's i mean it's it's weird dude there's there is an acknowledgement of like like natives have been treated horribly and they kind of still are in in latin america um, especially Colombia specifically and certain other countries specifically in South America um, was kind of so influenced by this like mestizo uh, idea that if you're half native half white then you're better um, you go to a place like Peru and most of them are descendants of natives so like it's not as bad um. But it yeah, it's just this this like weird thing of like yeah man like, the natives are treated badly, but also they're stupid, you know like yeah. like in in Colombia in Colombian slang, indio means Indian. Mm-hmm. If you call someone indio, that means like, they're bad at doing things, yeah. like they're just not as like, you know like, you're trying to fix your car, you can't figure it out. You're an indio, you know yeah. Um which is just like crazy. You know. Um and there is like this pride of if you can trace if you can legitimately trace like your Spanish roots, that's like a big deal. Um which again, like is it bad to be proud of your heritage? Maybe not. Um I don't think it is, but but uh that shouldn't be like like a pretext for for making sure that other people stay at the bottom. Yeah. And also you that's like be proud of your heritage, but also be aware of it. Like the Spanish heritage is the heritage that is not always pretty. Yeah. You know,
0: but it is what it is. It is what it is. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's a good word. And I kind of want to circle back to, cause I know that you wrote about in the, the article, like how I learned to love my skin. Mm-hmm. You kind of wrote about that kind of process that you went through almost like a development. You can correct me, but the development of, you kind of not realizing, but kind of coming to the understanding of of your mindset and what you were going through and then try, like trying to get past it. And I, I don't know, this line right here was as long as I just disavowed my cultural upbringing, and whitewashed my thoughts, my language, the media I consume, the air I breathe. As long as I whitewashed myself, I could be fine, I could be safe. As long as I didn't make the whiteness around me too uncomfortable, didn't draw too much attention to myself, didn't speak the language of my parents in public, I could one day aspire to graduate to the ranks of white 2.0. So when I I read that the first time, this is like when The Jungle came out, I think it was the first article that I read, like, that seriously brought me to tears just because I've known you for, mm-hmm. you know, for four or five years now. And it hurt me because I was like, I did not know what, you know, you were going through. Mm-hmm. And as part of as part of one of your white friends, uh, <laughs> but knowing that I wasn't trying to be part of it, but I was part of it, mm-hmm. sucks. Like, you know, <laughs> as, as I'll be brutally honest like that sucks to to hear that you were struggling with that but can you just go through with me what kind of like your process was to going from a place of like identifying it and I mean it could have always been something that you realized but how you kind of got past it and learned to accept it and kind of like own the the heritage of where you came from and like started to be proud which you were proud all along but you know Mm -hmm. what I'm
1: saying yeah I um I think um, so I, I kind of write about this in that same article, but the, the, the point, the pivot, the pivoting point for me was the, uh, Miss America, uh, in 2012 or something like that. Um, this woman named Nina Davaluri, she's of Indian descent. She won Miss America. Um, and then Twitter just went nuts, which like, when does Twitter not go nuts, <laughs> but just like it was just disheartening. Um, People were like, she like, why why are we having like gas station attendants winning Miss America or like, Mm -hmm. she's a terrorist, like stuff like that. Um, And that was the moment where I realized there is a significant number of people who doesn't accept, like I had this paradigm where I was basically like, if I blend in and I'm, you know, if I make myself into the non-threatening Brown guy, then I can just kind of fade into the background and I can like somehow have everyone forget that I'm not white. Like it wasn't like this notion of like, how do I become white? But how do I like make people forget that I'm not, how do I not call attention to my non-whiteness? Um, because that's, what's going to truly make me an American. Like that's, what's going to truly make me a part of like this yes. culture, this society, this country. And then the whole thing with Miss America happens. And, and that's when I realize, no, wait, there, there are a lot of people who won't accept that. There are so many people out there who, like, no matter what I do to blend in, like, that's just not going to be enough for them because to be American is to be white. Um, and that was the moment where I realized I can't do this anymore because then I, I'm either going to hate myself or I'm going to hate everyone else. Um, and that was kind of the, you know, the beginning. And I'm still, like... I still struggle with it, man. Like when people say stuff that I don't think they should, like, I'm not trying to say people like aren't allowed to say things, but when people say like the N word, you know, and, and I like, we, we know how that word has been used to make people feel like they're not American mm-hmm. for hundreds of years. Like I still struggled to, to like do anything about it because my instinct on the inside is still to be the non-threatening Brown guy you know, like the guy who can roll with the punches and like the guy, like the non-threatening brown guy who might actually vote Republican, you know, like that's still what I initially want to do. That's my snap reaction. Yeah. Um. But I can't do that. You know, it's just not tenable because, again, like I...
0: Just because you've tried it and it just hasn't worked?
1: Right, and and it just like, it results in me... Trying to get myself to hate a huge part of what is me, whether or not I want it to be me. Like, I was born in Colombia, and I look tan, and I speak Spanish, whether or not I want those things to be true. Yeah. Um. So, it's not a matter of, like, I can choose to be brown. It's a matter of I can choose to love being brown, or I can choose to hate being brown. Does that make sense? Yeah, it
0: does. It's just tough to, I don't, I don't know when I read that article it was it was just so eye opening as I've said that again, but it was so eye opening to to see, you know, you had to almost go through this crazy process of coming to the realization uh that it wasn't worth it. That mm-hmm. it was that you were almost throwing in the towel like you it was the it was the white flag and and it was it was tough to to read that, but at the same time, you. It, at the end of the article, at the end of reading it, I knew that it was definitely the right thing for you and the right thing that you were doing, and, and it made it made me happy that you had come to that realization and that you were proud because I think that's something that me, uh, I've talked to Cecil about it who hasn't come on the podcast yet, but. Um, was talking to him about it when I was talking through this idea. Mm -hmm. And he was just saying, like, we need to love where we came from. Like, Mm -hmm. white people need to love where they came from. Black people need to love where they came from. Hispanic people need to love where they came from. But we kind of get mixed up in how we think we're disrespecting each other. Like, if a white person tries to do something that is historically a black thing to do, we, they should take that as a compliment and, mm-hmm. and vice versa for all those things around. And I think that is something that really kind of stuck out to me when kind of going through this process of me going through this as well because even when I read your article, I got defensive of me. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just, it, it's innate. It's it's mm-hmm. basically human to try to dis- defend yourself. And I, I think that's through this whole process of talking to people and realizing, you know, everything about racism in America that I just didn't know and just wasn't able to identify. Mm -hmm. I think that was, that's kind of been the biggest thing that I've noticed in my own life is every time that I see like someone like you say those words, I try to defend white people. Mm -hmm. I try to defend it. And it's kind of been a a tough thing for me to battle with and kind of let go and be like, all right, I can't do that Mm -hmm. anymore. Like, I need to hear different perspectives. Like I need to hear Daniel's perspective and hear him in person and like reading his stuff. And so it's definitely a cool thing. Uh, I know that you've done a lot of research and kind of wrestling with it. And you said you've read what's his name? Coates. Coats. Coates. Ta-Nehisi Coates. I heard a podcast with him on it. Yeah.
1: He's awesome. He is a he's brilliant. He was
0: he was interviewed by I've already mentioned him, but his name's, uh, Bill Simmons and he's a sports guy, but he went on and just kind of talked about, he he didn't talk about sports. He just talked (laughs) about pretty much everything culture related. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to listen to this guy. And I never heard of him before. Yeah. And, but talk to me about a few more people that you've drawn influence from. I know that you mentioned, who was
1: it? Jamar Tisby? Tisby. Yeah, dude. Jamar Tisby. Um, he is, uh, the president of The Witness, a black Christian collective, is what it's okay. called, um, formerly known as the Reformed African American Network. He does a podcast called Pass the Mic. Um, so, where where Nehisi Coates gives me like really insightful cultural understandings of race, Jamar Tisby is just so good at like putting it in the context of the gospel. Um, and through listening to him and reading a lot of what he's written, I've become convinced especially for Christians that this whole race stuff that for, you know, 50, a hundred years we've said is kind of a nice bonus. Isn't really a bonus. Like if the gospel is the gospel, then it's about reconciliation between people of all colors and yeah. all walks of life. It's divisions of the church. Yeah, exactly. Um, the fact that there's a black church and a white church and a you know Mexican church and an Indian church and a Korean church, like that's not what heaven's going to look like. Yeah. You know, um, And I think a lot of Christians are going to get to heaven and they're going to be like, wow, this is so much better than the little kingdom that I try to create for myself with people who look like myself and think like myself. Um, So, yeah, Jamar Tisby is amazing.
0: And then what what did you or what are the outlets that you've heard Coates on? Like, is it book? Is it just (laughs) like articles, podcasts? What does he do?
1: Yeah. So he I read a book by him called We Were Eight Years in Power. Um, It's a collection of his essays that he has run on The Atlantic, which is a magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a, he's a national contributor for The Atlantic. He writes a lot. His essays are long, they're like 30 pages long. Um, but they're just beautifully written. It's not your typical high school essay. Right. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, they're just Five beautifully paragraphs. written. They are controversial because he is not gonna mince words. Like, you're talking about getting defensive and that's just the natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he will make you feel defensive. Um, my first interaction with him was actually one of his like more recent publications, which was called The First White President, where he basically made the case that Donald Trump is the first white president looking at whiteness from a conceptual perspective rather than like the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. He's saying because Barack Obama is the first black president, every other president was just the president. Um, all of a sudden you have like the resurgence of this idea of whiteness as what, as the way things ought to be. Um, it's very good, pretty controversial. I don't agree with every single thing he says. Yeah.
0: But you would recommend that someone like me would, you know, and producer Jordan would would like read and listen in and same with Jamar Tisby. Jamar Tisby. Is there anybody else? I know that you said that you've been, you did a lot of research on and just reading in general Mm -hmm. on this issue of race. Is there anything, any other works, any other things that anybody who's listening this can can tune into, like from a podcast standpoint, essays, anything that, Mm -hmm. that really has, you know, shaped and molded the way that you've looked at things.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a lot.
0: Yeah. I'm putting you on the spot.
1: (laughs) There's, there's a lot of stuff out there. Those are like my two like go-to guys where I'm like, well, I wonder what he's thinking today. Um, I, I've been listening to the truth's table podcast, which is black women, which is a voice that is just not heard in America. Yeah. Um, that's a really good perspective. It comes from a Christian perspective. So here's the deal. I haven't found a whole lot of Latino writers. Yeah.
0: And you say in your like in your article that that upsets you because mm-hmm. you're just saying there's, there are the Coates, there are the Tisbees, but there's nobody that looks like me, that talks like me. Mm-hmm. And you want that.
1: Yeah. They're out there. Um, Coates talks about his kind of rise to prominence as a public intellectual directly correlated to the rise of Barack Obama. There just hasn't been a national icon like Barack Obama who gets people thinking about people who are Brown. Really? Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, until that happens, I don't know that we're going to see kind of this, this, uh, you know, wellspring of, of thinkers who look like me. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: Cause you talk about, and I, this could be totally off. So in the Nobel Press article, you talk about a Latino that was running for office, mm-hmm. correct? Tell us that story because I don't want to butcher it.
1: Yeah, so um, – But I, I just thought it was super interesting. Yeah, so it was from a New York Times piece. I forgot who wrote it. It's really good. Um, but the guy's name is – he goes by Chewy. Chewy. Okay. Chewy. Um, um, he was running against Rahm Emanuel for the Chicago mayoral election. Um, Rahm Emanuel was like doing some stuff with public school funding. Um, and he was trying to put together a coalition of white liberals, um, Latinos and and uh, blacks in the city of Chicago to get elected basically. Um, and he lost. So the New York Times piece kind of talked about why he lost and they interviewed certain people, um, a lot of whom, even though this guy had the support from from multiple leaders in, you know, the black community, for a lot of black people on the ground, their thought was, listen, the Mexicans are stealing our jobs too, and I don't want to vote for a New Mexican. You know, I don't want to vote for a guy who's going to give preference to the people that look yeah. like himself. Yeah. Um, which, like, the big lie in America, right, the big lie that, um, like, to a degree is is integrated into the dna of the way america works is that only one person can win yeah that's kind of i mean that's kind of capitalism is you know the person at the top is the big winner and it, you know it takes him climbing over all the bodies of a com- of his competitors mm-hmm. um so yeah the the big lie in america is that only one can win um what that looks like in terms of identity pond but p- p- What that looks like in terms of identity (laughs) politics is only one type of person can win. Only one type of person can be at the top. And for that to happen, other people have to be at the bottom. So if this guy is trying to get the people that look like him a little bit better off, that means that the people who look like me are going to be a little bit worse off. Yeah, Um, That's kind of what's happening with with race relations just between whites and blacks. Like, If all of a sudden people who are non-white have a voice... A lot of white people Think find they have no voice right find their voice stifled and you yeah. have people who honest to goodness believe that white men are oppressed in today's America and I mean just factually that's not correct yeah um, but it's because you have this this idea that that only one type of person only one person can be the winner and the problem is, this is a society, it's not a game. We're not trying to win. We're just trying to live. Yeah. You know, we're just trying to be able to send our kids to school. I don't have kids. I don't know why I'm talking like I'm fifty. Brittany. <laughs> Brittany has secret children. Yeah. Um They're living here. <laughs> yeah. She's been adopting kids without me knowing. Uh which is crazy. That's a lie. That's really <laughs> um So yeah, that that's just heartbreaking i think because i mean you have you have like fractures even among latinos there's like weird turf wars like like a lot of the time like mexicans and colombians don't get along because there's this notion of like if you guys make it we don't you know and that's ridiculous ridiculous that's preposterous so if you have that even among the people that others perceive to be the same how much worse is it among people who everyone knows are different, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just hearing you, you know, talk about it. And I know that we, we've had a little bit of, of dialogue about this as well. And I'm kind of going to change kind of a little bit of what we're talking about. So I know that when you called me to, when I wrote the article that I was going to do this podcast, mm-hmm. that I was going to, to try to speak out on it and try to kind of, have those honest conversations Mm -hmm. when you read the article of why I was doing it you called me and the thing that really stuck out to me was you talked about Charlottesville Mm -hmm. and you talked about your emotions during that and because it was such a pivotal moment and kind of what the Miss America pageant kind of was for you Mm -hmm. Charlottesville was for me not not that that wasn't like a huge impact on you but it was kind of a turning moment Mm -hmm. for me but you mentioned me a few things. Tell, Walk me through your emotions on that day, kind of pointed almost at white people, correct? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, gosh, I don't know how, how unhinged I wanna be. When When I read your article, I was crying because the theme for me that I've felt since the election is no one cares or like no one wants to listen. Um, which obviously isn't true. A lot of people care, and a lot of people are listening, and a lot of people are speaking out. But that's the that's the design of racism, is that it's isolating by design. Um, so, yeah, Charlottesville was a tragedy. And it felt like this thing where everyone realizes, okay, this is bad, this is different. But then it's gone, you know? And then people are okay again. And, like, America loses her innocence, but then we go back to doing whatever. Um, so just to have someone, you know, you write that article and you, like, be impacted by by Charlottesville to such a degree that you are going to, you know, put on this podcast and actually work to have conversations. I was just like, man, like, that means so much. Because, like, I, I'd been under the impression of, of like, you know, people just see this as like a one off thing that we can just kind of brush aside. It's a tragedy,
0: but it's whatever. Yeah. It's over. Like, we can't do anything about it. We're
1: three states or two states away. Right. Exactly. Um, and like, I, I'm, I'm guilty of sometimes having over dramatic, like, Facebook posts or tweets, specifically tweets. If you don't want to be offended, do not follow me on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm definitely guilty of being a little bit too dramatic on social media, but it was just like this weird radio silence from the people that I wanted to be hearing from, which was specifically my white friends. Um I appreciated, you know, there were certain people who on the you know on the day that Charlottesville happened or the day after because it was at night. Um you know, I had one guy walk into my office and he was like, "Dude, let's pray." And we just prayed and we cried. Um I had a friend text me like, "Are you okay?" like how you feeling? Like that type of thing, means a lot. Yeah. Um. And maybe there's this notion that if you like are impacted by Charlottesville and you think to yourself, man, that's bad. That's enough. But that's not enough. Yeah. Um. Because, you know, that that just puts you with every you know everyone else.
0: What did you want to hear that day?
1: Um. Because like everyone, you didn't hear from me. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. You didn't hear from me, who was extremely broken about it and the reason why I wanted one of the reasons why I wanted to make this podcast because I think there's a lot of people like me who are that want to say something but just feel like they can't Mm -hmm. and I know that there were people hurting on that day but I didn't know what to do about Mm -hmm. it, right and it wasn't that I didn't want you to know that you were loved or you know, any of my black friends, would feel like I was thinking about them, but it felt off for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like Roe was saying, I didn't want to hear anybody. He was like, I did not want to talk to any white people <laughs> for at least two or three weeks. Yeah. You know? And that stuck out to me too mm-hmm. of, I couldn't do anything right in that moment. So tell me like what you would have wanted to happen. Mm hmm.
1: So here's here's a thing where I can't say that I was specifically like angry with you you know or I wasn't like specifically angry with like producer Jordan um, because that makes no sense. Like that puts me at the center of the universe where everyone has a responsibility to make sure my feelings don't get hurt and that's just stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what is true. You would have the relational capital with Roe to be able to know he doesn't want people to talk to him and you would have the relational capital with me to reach out you know what i'm saying yeah like it's not necessarily like everyone should do this specific thing it's like if you don't i don't i don't want to be too like controversial or anything but if you're not if you're not like having relationships with people of color to to a point where something like that can happen and you're not immediately saying okay this guy i can reach out to this guy i should leave alone this guy i should talk to you need to get some get to know some some brown people, you know? Yeah. Get to know some black people. You know, make friends with people that don't look like you. Um That's good. And that's how you fix Charlottesville. Yeah. It's not by like Like for me, like seeing certain people like say something on Facebook was like, "Cool, you know, they're like They're they're with Even a share." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um but that honestly like it's not about that it's it's not about like publicly talking about how this thing is so bad and you're so good for thinking it's bad it's about being able to have relationships with people around you that do make a difference does that make sense yeah because
0: when when you think about it it's tough to kind of go through the motions of of saying this is such a tragedy and this is such, this is something that I cannot stand. But what can I do about it? Mm -hmm. I think that's what I suffered through for like three or four weeks of Mm -hmm. just like, like asking the Lord, please do something Mm -hmm. because I can't do anything because I'm white, because I'm a Christian, because I'm in the middle, like, in the middle class, because I live in the suburbs, because I'm from Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, you can't do anything when that's not the case. And what you're saying is that it starts with, like we say on the podcast, starts with honest conversations, but it starts with friendships. Mm-hmm. starts with those relationships, you know, just making those and you're not going to make it because, oh, he's black, I should make, <laughs> from, you know, be friends mm-hmm. with them, that's not how it is. But you should make friends that have different perspectives than you Mm -hmm. and not just stick to what you know, because if, if we're being honest, you're going to stick to what is normal to you because it's normal to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're not going to grow to appreciate something else. And I think that was something that was big for me was if you grow to appreciate something else, then you're going to grow to love an entire movement, you know, that Mm -hmm. is like, I can't say that I, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, I, you know, I'm never gonna, I'm not a part of it, mm-hmm. but you always are gonna support it because you want, you want that, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a, a really good thing. And so, and you are a part of the church, mm-hmm. and you're, at, wait, where are y'all right now? It's, I can't say the name of the in church in New Mexico. In oh New yeah. Louisiana. So y'all are <laughs> interning for a church, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, the thing that I kind of want to ask you. Is how does the church play a role in the healing process of of this nation? Mm-hmm. You know, of racism in America. How do you see that healing going? What are the little steps that we can take? I know it's not going to change overnight, but what do you think the church can do,
1: uh,
0: even from a just you and Brittany standpoint? Mm-hmm. You know, like what's what was is y'all's mission in that in that regard?
1: Yeah. So. Here's here's a big thing and, and kind of a basic thing is I sincerely 100% believe that every church congregation is called to look like God's kingdom where it is. So if your church is in a city that is 30% black, 20% Latino, and 50% white, that's what your church should look like. Yeah. Um, I think every church has that responsibility, and I'm going to be you know non-compromising about that. The other thing I'm convicted of and I'm convinced of is we don't get there by having white churches say, how do we get colored people to come to our white church? Mm -hmm. That's wrong. Yeah. The way we get there is by having all churches say, how do we transform our congregation to look like God's kingdom? That's completely different. Yeah. Because you can have a brown person going to a white church, but if they're not, if it's like, oh, it's nice that he's here, like if it's a bonus – That's stupid. Yeah. If it's not like we need you, just like we need, you know, the white guy who sets up the coffee. We need the brown guy who like, you know, takes care of parking. And we need, you know, this lady who MCs or whatever. Um, Like that's what it looks like. Um, It looks like having people in leadership positions who look different. Um, you know, just frankly speaking, it's going to be pretty unlikely for, you know, 12 white elders who are all architects to figure out how to reach out to black people.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, that's true.
0: <laughs> Funny yet true.
1: <laughs> so, you know, that's what that looks like. And and there's just a level of intentionality that needs to be there. Congregations need to look at themselves and, and say, okay, like, are we treating this as like a nice, like bonus? Like, yeah, it'd be nice if this happened. Or are we treating it as a priority are we building it into our budget are we building it into who we're looking to hire you know are we building it into what our worship service looks like yeah you know what i mean like if so what
0: what do those little changes look like if you don't mind me asking so if if you're trying to transform your church to look more like god's kingdom mm -hmm. right what are the little steps that you like you just said changing worship like how how does that look I'm just, yeah, I think that's a question for me in the church that, that I attend. It, it's how do, I think that's one thing I've started to look for a new church that is not all white, mm-hmm. uh, just cause and I have no problem with the church that I grew up with. I love the church that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I want those different perspectives in this time right now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying like to seek out churches that look like that that you know that don't look pre- predominantly white if i'm being honest so but how if you are a church that is white how do you change to look like god's kingdom
1: yeah that's such a good question people got paid a lot of money to figure that out um and it looks different for it's true people got paid tons of money um like millions of dollars really? i just kidding I was, like, I was like i don't know where you go to church. um No, it it looks different in in each community. But for example, like if you go to a church where worship looks like 16th century white church, you're going to get people who belong in the 16th century. And, you know, if if you're like, if you're, if you're so concerned with the identity of your church being somehow dismembered because people who are different are coming into church or like because they want to, you know, shake things up, then stop it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, for example, um, the campus ministry that Brittany, my wife, who's sitting right here, She's great. Uh, is involved with. They are in New Mexico, which is like fifty-fifty, like Mexican-American and white American. Um, New Mexico State University, and one of the things that they do, which is super cool, the Aggies. Yeah, the Aggies. just won their first bowl game in like I know five hundred years. Yeah um football was invented 502 years ago oh my gosh
0: two years (laughs) Um, (laughs) two years they really wanted out yeah yeah
1: um so one of the things that they do is they'll like sing like a pretty well-known song and they'll sing one of the verses in spanish and they'll project the lyric in spanish and what that says to a spanish speaker who visits that campus ministry is oh i'm welcome here like this is familiar this is my heart language Um, or for example, let's say you have a church that can't afford to do like simultaneous translation because it's a smaller church, but you want to reach out to people who don't speak the language. Maybe you have like a, you know, some sort of Bible study where you teach them the gospel in their language or where you teach them the gospel in in, in a way that's easy for, for non-English primary non-English speakers to understand like an international ministry. Um, you know, stuff like that. Just, I think there just has to be a level of intentionality with it. Yeah. Um, it, like, there's there's good intentions in saying. Like, there's good intentions in saying, "Oh, like, we wanna, we wanna, like, why don't you invite your like, your Persian neighbor to church?" You know, that's fine. Um, but it's something else entirely to, to say, okay. I know that I'm in a Persian community. I'm going to hire someone, you know, who speaks Farsi and knows the culture. Yeah. Um, or I'm, you know, we're going to do a ministry, a whole ministry that's dedicated to making and building relationships with people who live in certain neighborhoods, um, as opposed to just saying like, like, oh, we're going to put this event on and we hope people show up, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, stuff like that. There's, it's that's not, it's not like stuff. a. It's not necessarily about programming; it's about intentionality in programming. Yeah, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's about having those thoughts. Like it's almost like having those things go through your mind of how to reach mm-hmm. that different that different group, and and that's where you see the change. Yeah, and that's where you see it. It's going. And I think just a huge thing to point out is like you want people to feel like they're at home mm-hmm. where they are, even if it's putting. You know, Hispanic lyrics up on the screen, you mm-hmm. know, uh, or Spanish lyrics, Hispanic lyrics. <laughs> uh, Spanish lyrics, like up on the screen. Yeah, Woo-hoo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really killed that one. Uh, Spanish lyrics like up on the screen. Like that makes somebody feel at home. Yeah. And I think that's a, a huge thing that, you know, us as the church, we need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, I think that's that's all I got. I think we're almost out of time. Producer Jordan. Are we almost out of time? He's looking
1: at you like I've never seen someone look at someone that they hate.
0: Yeah. I mean, we don't have a set time. Yeah, good point. Well, I think we're (laughs) almost out of time. But, Daniel, thank you so much. Daniel, is there anything anything you you want to plug?
1: You just want me gone, dude. Yeah, I just don't (laughs) want to talk to you anymore. Am I
0: supposed to plug something? Yeah, plug something. One of your articles – your wife So
1: this makes me feel like super you? insecure because Roe was like plugging his like poetry books and stuff yeah. and I don't have anything. <laughs> so I'm just gonna lie. Do you have any YouTube videos that you made in no, makeup? I'm up, not gonna plug any YouTube you videos. Wrote. Make up a book you wrote. Yeah, so I'm writing um uh I'm writing a book about my I did a motorcycle road trip with uh <laughs> former president uh uh former president Jimmy Carter. Um we we uh yeah, we we went across America on motorcycles building homes for the homeless. What was your favorite uh, me site? Me and Jimmy that you Carter. Saw.
0: What? What was your favorite site that you saw on your Um trip?
1: we went to Lake Winnipesaka in <laughs> North Georgia. Um, and we like it sucked. You know? So we just like we just put something together. It was like cardboard. Um yeah, so me and Jimmy Carter. The name of the book is Carter. I barely even know her. <laughs> um, and it's it's gonna be out in stores. Soon. Soon? How soon? So, uh, it's dropping like, dropping that EP. No, come on. (laughs) I don't know, man. Will you uh, autograph my copy? Yeah. What stores will it be in? It's going to be on (laughs) Zeusk (laughs) Store. (laughs) (laughs) Zeusk (laughs) Store. Um, And you can, yeah, Second and Charles, only three of them. Um, (laughs) I don't know which ones. And I'm pretty sure on LinkedIn there's a store page. (laughs) um it's not gonna be on that <laughs> okay. um just you know i just thought i'd say that so yeah find thanks for me, plugging linkedin find me on <laughs> we Twitter. really needed that on linkedin here. Is, is struggling i think <laughs> yeah are they i've never been on it just, but just I,
0: because you're not on it they're struggling
1: well i feel like linkedin is like a, p- a platform for people f- with real jobs and i'm in ministry <laughs> which <laughs> what's the point you know hey, i'm not on linkedin and look at me now i'm a producer Producer Jordan's He's not on Jordan. LinkedIn. Yeah. He's like a pastor. Pastor. Barely even know her. Man. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> <hate> that one. <laughs> is, that, is
0: that the sequel? Uh, yeah. yeah. That's a sequel to Carter. I barely know her. Yeah. yeah. Lake. What is it? Lake Winnipesaco. <laughs> it Exist. It
1: exists. It's real.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Daniel and Brittany, for coming in today. Actually, just <laughs> Brittany. I'm glad that you came and not Gosh. really Daniel. <laughs> but uh thank you all so much for coming on y'all are the best yeah dog yee have
1: me back we'll right. do I'm real good never wow. <laughs>